soulmates. Plenty to discuss on this Monday. Hope the Easter weekend was good resurrection weekend. Happy Resurrection they, Sunday. they like to call it. We're following the latest on the two black lawmakers removed by Tennessee Republicans and the increasing number of threats being made against the black district attorney charging Trump. Welcome to Fox News Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm the Cordelia Corte. Plus, why Rock Nation is doing what Rock Nation is doing to speak out against racism and how musician Dallas Austin is making a huge impact in our community. They're the stories that impact our people. Yeah, we're going to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into our top conversation today. Two black Democrats, uh, state representatives, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, were expelled from the Tennessee House of Representatives after a protest over gun control. However, their white counterpart, Gloria Johnson, was able to keep her position due to a failed vote by Republicans to secure a uh, supermajority. Now, former President Barack Obama expressed support for the trio and called out the erosion of democratic norms. Obama said that silencing those who disagree is a sign of weakness, not strength, and it won't lead to progress. Justin Jones criticized the decision, warning of the dangers precedent it uh, set and calling the uh, calling for rather nonviolent movements to hold those responsible accountable. Vice President Kamala Harris visited Nashville and spoke in favor of gun control. She met with Tennessee State Representatives Justin Jones, Justin Pearson, and Gloria Johnson, the three lawmakers who were involved in the protests on the State House floor. Harris praised their courage and emphasized the importance of democracy. President Joe Biden also spoke with lawmakers and invited them to the White House. Biden criticized Republicans for punishing elected representatives instead of taking action on gun safety reforms. Of course, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Joining us now to discuss the Tennessee Three is former Tennessee State Senator Katrina Robinson. Thank you so much for joining us today and welcome back to Fox Souls Black Report. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. So, so tell us, you know, you were watching the expulsion in real time. What was your initial feeling as, as you watched all of this unfold? Um, it was a feeling of disgust, a feeling of um, just, it was all together just wrong. I mean, I, I had to go through the same process a little bit over a year ago. And it was pretty much the same thing. No due process was given. Um, I had not violated any Senate laws at that point or any Senate rules at that point. And I think it got kind of swept under the rug because of the uh, situation that I was in. However, the process was still the same and it still went the same way. With these lawmakers, they are fairly new lawmakers. I believe Justin Jones has been there uh, since the beginning of this uh, session. And then Justin Pearson just got there maybe two weeks ago. Um, and so they have not been formally trained. I know for a fact that they don't train them as to what the four decorum should actually be. However, this was not an, expo an expulsory offense to me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we know that this was absolutely unprecedented um, and we know it's about gun control. But but how much of a role do you think racism uh, has played in the explosion uh, expulsion? Excuse me. It's it's pretty clear as to, um, you know, how that uh, seems to be of, of such. 
Right. I mean, and, and to be honest, it's not unprecedented. Again, it happened last year. <laughs> people are people are totally missing their point. It happened last year in the Senate. This is the first time it has happened in the House along party lines. Prior to this, it happened with a representative who was expelled for um, a numerous sexual harassment uh, complaints. Um, but this is something totally different. Um, these lawmakers haven't um, aggressed so much where they should be expelled, it sets a terrible precedent because it is along racial lines. If you look at the three lawmakers who were up, you had Gloria Johnson, who was from Knoxville. She's a Democrat, and though they have given her hell since she's been there, she has stayed. And then you have the two black lawmakers from the blackest and bluest uh, counties in the state, Davidson County and Shelby County, who were expelled. No action was different on the part of e either of those lawmakers. All three of them were in the well at the time they were, um, were to be said to be offending. Um, and nothing was different between the three of them but their race and their sex. So um, you can pretty much draw the picture from there. And even uh, Representative Johnson did acknowledge on national TV that she understands that this was a racial thing. Mm -hmm. You know, this weekend we saw uh, the lawmakers, the Tennessee Three, really making their rounds on uh, a number of different uh, programs. Um, and, you know, one of the things that struck me is they talked about how they felt like there was a target on their back from the very beginning. Um, how were you treated while a senator in the Tennessee state legislature? And did you ever feel like you had a target on your back starting on day one? Oh, not starting on day one, but I did feel like I had a target on my back. Um, so I will say that the institution that we were a part of, um, has been white, has been male, of course. So as one of three black women who served in the Senate, of course, there were feelings of uh, not being welcomed. Um, and especially these young men, which I want to bring to light, Justin Jones is actually an activist who had a very, very uh, extensive reputation at the, at the House and in the Senate because Justin was very, very vocal with different uh, groups in the community about um, wrongdoings. Even one time he was in committee with me in judiciary and we were advocating for citizen law enforcement review boards and people not running over protesters. He's been arrested multiple times at the hands of uh, House leaders. And so I feel like when he got there, um, they pretty much did have a target on his back because to them it was a slap in the face that he is now an elected rep representative and their peer. There's a point to prove there. Yeah, and we know lawmakers are going to be busy today. Uh, do you think that the two black lawmakers will be reinstated? I know there's some votes up. So that that's the tricky part. So the Memphis City County, I'm sorry, the Memphis, I'm sorry, the Shelby County Commission is going to be voting uh, on a reappointment for Justin Pearson's position, which is District 86 in the House, and then the Metro City Council from Nashville will have to vote on a reappointment for his position as well. When there is a seat that is vacated with greater than 12 months left until an election, the local legislative body does have the duty to put on a special election and until they do that, they do an interim appointment. Um, what I've heard is that the um, House leaders have made numerous threats saying that they were gonna withhold funding and support for Shelby County if they send Justin Pearson back. And I'm sure it's the same way with uh, the Metro Council. However, I am looking forward to these bodies ignoring those threats and sending these people back to the positions that the people appointed them to. Mm -hmm. They are elected to those positions and they deserve to serve because they have shown themselves those of passion to serve. And I believe that our uh, county commissioners and Metro City Council have 
uh, the guts to do that. I, I, I hope they do. And until the special election happens again, uh, I, I know Justin Pearson and both Justin Jones have said they will run again, and I hope they do, and the people get another chance to send them back to their seats. Have, have Republicans in the Tennessee state legislature, have they ever made good on any of these threats? I mean, you know, it's been reported that $350 million project in Shelby County that they've been sort of holding over those commissioners' heads, you know, if they were to um, uh, to seat uh, the representatives, uh, should they be reelected again? You know, have Republicans ever made good on these threats or is it just a whole lot of tough talk? It's not a whole lot of tough talk. They have made good on threats in the past. Um, as recently as I believe 2016 was before I was serving, actually. Um, and that's the scary part because they have such a supermajority in this state. They can pretty much will their power in any way that they want to. Uh, we already have challenges with Davidson County and Shelby County being the most neglected um, counties in the in the state, but also having the highest black populations in the state as well. And uh, the, the body knows that, and they know that we are at their mercy when it comes to funding. However, I don't, I don't think it's much to lose, uh, if, you, if you ask me. Yeah, Katrina uh, Robinson, a former Tennessee State Senator, thank you so much for your time today, for the for the insight and uh, for the good trouble that uh, we, we know you continue to get in. And uh, we might even have you back to discuss uh, a little bit more about this uh, situation as it plays out. Thank you so much again. We appreciate your time today. Thank you all, and thank you all for covering this. Absolutely. All right, moving along here now, let's go to Florida, where the state Senate is considering a bill that would allow people to sue local governments over the removal of historical monuments. Now, it would hold liable anyone who damages or removes a monument or memorial and prohibit the placement of objects near existing ones. The bill is advancing to a floor vo vote after being approved by the Community Affairs Committee. Now, this move comes amid efforts to remove Confederate symbols with 77 memorials still standing in Florida. That's according to a 2022 report from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Black students and alumni of Harvard University are outraged after four black undergraduates were held at gunpoint by campus police officers in a swatting incident. The officers raided Leverett House, one of the university's largest student residences, following a 911 call about an armed person in a dorm suite. The students were ordered into the hallway and police pointed service weapons at them. No one was found to be armed or acting suspiciously and the incident is believed to be an example of swatting, a criminal trend that can lead to jail time. Now, black alumni are seeking answers about the university's police protocols. Yeah, Nicole, and this investigation continues as they do believe it might have been a former a student who was uh, disgruntled why he chose this particular dorm and this particular dorm room number uh, still uh, left to be uh, answered, but can you imagine being a college student, a very prestigious school, um, and at four o'clock in the morning you are, you know, sleeping, mm -hmm. and, you know, these bangs on the door, and, and not only are you removed, but you're cuffed, uh, you know, as they uh, try to figure out this situation, and so very terrifying, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if something legally mm -hmm. uh, follows uh, this incident as they sort of 
try to sort this thing out. And this swatting, that's the first time I've heard yeah, I'd never that heard, particular term. Right, I've never yeah. heard that before. Yeah. I guess maybe what makes it significant is that someone falsely calls about a, a, a particular situation yeah. to an address or a location. I don't know how that makes it different from a false you know, 911 call, but it's very interesting to read about yeah, that as I, well. I mean, these are the types of stories that go from zero to 100, mm -hmm. right? And, and what if one of those officers had used excessive force, mm -hmm. right? This could be a fundamentally different story, That's but right. kudos to the Harvard University Black Alumni Association for saying, you know what? Jumping on it. Not on my watch. Jumping right on it. Just horrifying. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go to Minneapolis. Uh, that city has agreed to a transformation uh, changes in its police department following the death of George Floyd. Now, the Minnesota Department of Human Rights filed the agreement with the Fourth Judicial Court mandating changes to MPD's culture and practices to ensure public safety and recognize community members' humanity and rights. Now, the first court enforceable agreement requires officers to de-escalate, limit force, and prohibit pretext stops. An independent evaluation team will oversee progress. Floyd's lawyers hailed the agreement as monumental and hope for an improvement in policing quality, training, and trust in law enforcement. You know, what's so great about this, oftentimes there are reports that are published mm -hmm. that detail all the things that are wrong. Mm -hmm. And we talk about this oftentimes, you know, mm -hmm. I call them the water is wet reports, <laughs> right? You know, it's like, you know, it, it took you all that time mm -hmm. and all that research to, to, to share the obvious. To figure it uh, out. But what's so great about this story mm -hmm. is that April 2022 report that was released, mm -hmm. they've actually taken action mm -hmm. on the recommendations in that, that report. Mm -hmm. And so kudos to, you know, all the activists on the outside mm -hmm. that, you know, didn't fall asleep at the wheel, but, That's you know, right. sort of, you know, you know, kept driving this transformational yeah, change. Years. And then also kudos to the Minneapolis City Council President, Andrea Jenkins, mm -hmm. who's been very outspoken mm -hmm. in terms of a fundamentally transforming policing in Minneapolis. Yeah, and, and now this is going to make them make the changes, That's make right. them make the changes. That's so we're right. looking forward to it. That's right. Well, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas finally responded to reports of undisclosed luxury trips paid mm -hmm. for by a Dallas <laughs> businessman. He shared that his colleagues and others in the judiciary had advised him that, quote, this sort of personal hospitality from close personal friends was not reportable, end quote. ProPublica, a nonprofit newsroom, discovered that Thomas, his wife, and the businessman and his wife enjoyed expensive trips together for over 20 years. Can you believe that? The 74-year-old oh, judge can. said the trips were, quote, among our dearest friends. But Supreme Court judges are required to do a yearly financial disclosure report. The report allows exemptions for hospitality from friends. Well, 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 now. The judge said, listen here, you know, I didn't know that this is something, you know, that had to be reported. This is something I've been doing with, with the wife, the, the trips, the private yachts, the, uh -huh. the private, uh, you know, uh, airplanes. Uh -huh. And, you know, his friend said, hey, they didn't ask us to do this for them. And he felt that that was something that didn't necessarily need to be uh, reported. And he said from here on out, uh, Justice uh, Thomas said from here on out, hey, you know, I'll report it if, if need be. 
I'll report people. it if need be. Spokes. If need be. I'll it's, let you know what's happening. This is crazy. This is crazy. Yes. I mean, it's one thing if your friend takes you out to lunch at Applebee's, you know, and for a $25 lunch at Applebee's. Okay. But we're talking about a 500000 luxury it vacation. Was, it was pretty. Right? And, and, and this isn't just any old body. This is a billionaire, you know, who reportedly uh, is, you know, has some business interest. I'm sure. Pending before the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. uh, now, as, in all fairness, the Texas billionaire says, you know, we've never talked about any pending cases before the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. You know, but you can talk a whole, you can talk about a whole lot yeah. without saying a whole but lot. But who's blowing the whistle? Because this has been ongoing for like 20 years, a couple of decades. I mean, they've been doing these trips for a while. Yeah. They're, they're supposedly good, good friends, you mm -hmm. know, travel buddies. And, and this, this Texas billionaire, you know, he, he's a strange one because mm -hmm. he also collects like Hitler memorabilia. Did you see that story in the news this weekend and, and the Washingtonian and Rolling Stone? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, this guy is uh, special to say the least. <laughs> All right, let's move on here. President Biden congratulated Louisiana State University's women basketball team and coach Kim Mulkey and that outfit uh, for their NCAA championship win uh, with a phone call. Now the White House said Biden also congratulated UConn Huskies men's uh, head coach inviting both winning teams to the White House. Now you remember Angel Reese named most outstanding player previously said LSU would not visit the White House after First Lady Jill uh, Biden suggested Iowa might be invited too. On Friday, Reese said she had changed her mind and was ready to visit the White House with her team. No date has been set for the visit just yet. That's going to be a huge, widely covered, you know, sometimes you see the teams go and you miss out on it or you don't realize that they've been to the White House. Everybody's going to be watching this one. I think so. They've been watching yeah. that body language. That's right. Mm -hmm. See how it really goes down. Well, still ahead, the need for extra security mm -hmm. in New York. Yeah, we'll tell you about the latest threats being made against the Manhattan DA in the wake of the Trump charges. Stay close. We'll be right back. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Soul's Black Report. We appreciate you, soulmates, listening in. All right, there are troubling reports of threats against the Manhattan District Attorney and the judge in the Donald Trump case. That's right. This all comes following Trump's arraignment as police are investigating those threats. A second law enforcement source says that death threats are also being made against the black district attorney and his prosecutors. More security has uh, put in, has been put in place for Bragg, the prosecutors, uh, and the Manhattan Criminal Courthouse. Here to join us and discuss more about these historic charges is attorney Joy White. Thank you for joining us today, Ms. White. Hi, thank you. How are you? I'm well, I'm well, I'm well. So tell us, what do you make of the fact that so many of Trump's legal troubles and concurrent investigations in the headlines appear to be largely driven by black prosecutors? Well, I think it's huge. And I think, you know, as we look at this, there is certainly um, a lot to be there are a lot of problems, including these recent threats, but I think it's so critical to recognize the historic nature of what's happening right now, that this is the first time in American history where a current or former president has been charged criminally and the prosecutor is a black man and the other 
individuals that are investigating him are, are black prosecutors. And so the, my view is like, there's a lot that still needs to be done in terms of racial equity, but it is critical and I think it can't be overlooked that it's all black prosecutors that are pursuing this. And what is it about the lived experience and legal training of these black prosecutors that you suspect may have prepared them to meet this historic moment and really just lead the charge to hold Trump accountable? Well, I think any black person that has made it to the point where they are an attorney in the U.S., given all the history, they've had to be willing to, to push the envelope to even be in the room. There's not a single black attorney in the U.S. that got to this point without being willing to push, to go against the tide, and to really shake things up. That's the history that we have um, as black attorneys, black judges in the U.S. And so I think, I think where other people would be unwilling to do this, I think you have black attorneys that realize that it's on them to do this if no one else will do it. And they've already had to have a lot of those experiences in their personal life to even get to this point in their career. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, legal and ethics experts, they say that Justice Clarence Thomas, that he broke the law when he failed to report these lavish trips on private jets and a super yacht, all provided by this Texas billionaire. We just reported on this. What say you? What say you as a, as a member of the bar? Uh, what do you make of this? Well, you know, I think once you become a Supreme Court justice and kind of your path to get to that point, I think there's a lot that that just us as lay people don't fully understand. And I think that Clarence Thomas is a unique, you know, he's his own person. And, you know, I want to be careful with the kind of things that I say here. But um, I think that he should be held accountable and, and hold himself accountable, just like every member of the bar. So there's no, you know, we don't get to this point without, you know, taking a fitness check and then certainly as a Supreme Court justice. And so I think, you know, he's got to be held accountable and certainly be willing to hold himself accountable um, as any member of the bar, particularly as a black man on the on the Supreme Court. But is that likely? And, 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 you know. and, 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 and if he doesn't do it, you know, who's going to make him do it? Because right now it doesn't seem like there's there's any interest from the chief justice or or, you know, from Congress, quite frankly, to make, um, you know, Supreme Court Justice Thomas and other Supreme Court justices, you know, adhere to the same uh, ethical uh, reporting that other federal judges have to adhere to. You know, I think. I think when you're talking about Supreme Court justices, particularly because they have tenure throughout their lifetime, I think that just as much as has gone into making the choice to pursue a former president um, and indict a former president, I think in some ways just as much has to go into making a choice to maybe make an example, even of Justice Thomas. And I think we don't know that that's not happening. So I think as long as it's taken us to bring this forward with Trump, I think there's a lot that has to happen um, to, to do something unprecedented against Clarence Thomas in the same way that we're doing. So I think it's hard to know. Mm -hmm. I hate to say, no, it will not happen because who would have ever thought that you would have black prosecutors being the first to you know file an indictment and charges against the former president? I think in our lifetime, there's probably a lot of people that thought that could never happen, particularly former President Trump.
and here we are. Yeah, here we are, here we are. Well, considering this latest ethical issue combined with the reported involvement of Clarence Thomas's wife in the January 6th insurrection, should Justice Thomas recuse himself from presiding over related cases before the U.S. Supreme Court? You know, again, decisions to recuse, especially the Supreme Court justices, are going to be based on, like, they make those decisions. Um, you know, I would be honored to be a Supreme Court justice, but I am not one currently. And so I honestly, I, I, I don't know what I would do if I was in his position. I believe that I probably would, but I also understand that there are so many things that factor into those choices um, that I would be amiss to, to, to say what needs to happen. I think, um, I think it's being looked into, and I think the fact that it's being reported on, even that says something, and I think going forward, he would certainly make different choices probably um, just based on that. And that may be enough in some ways that this has been discussed enough that it's an issue that he would be very unlikely to do again without seriously thinking about it. Before we let you go, tell us something that we don't know. Tell us something that we should keep our eye on as you know this Trump uh, investigation, these series of investigations led by black prosecutors as they continue. You know, what's something that our soulmates should keep our eye on um, as this continues to progress? You know, I think, especially with the recent threats against um, the district attorney, I think paying attention to the ways that we all need to show up to protect them. So I think that's what we should look at. You know, there have been, you know, former President Trump has made racist and reverse racism allegations against other prosecutors, against Fannie Willis, against Letitia James. So I think we should pay attention to how as a community and as a government, we show up to protect them because they are doing something and bringing these charges against him and pursuing him um, that is historical. And I think what we wanna pay attention to is the way that they are protected and honored as they're doing this, this work. Our thanks to Joy White, uh, Atlanta-based attorney, former general counsel for the Morehouse College, uh, and just overall uh, bad system. We appreciate <laughs> you, and please come on back to Fox Hills Black Report anytime. Thank you, thank you for having me. All right. All right, so let's go from uh, the law to some to some music, using music to make an impact with Dallas Austin. That's right, he stops by the Black Report to share his latest projects and how they're helping the community. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. We'll be right back. Welcome you back to Fox Hills Black Report. Snakes on a plane. I'd have had a fit. Ooh, Lord have so. mercy. A South African pilot recently found a cobra under his pilot seat mm, mm, mm. and had to make an emergency landing after discovering the highly venomous creature. Mm. Rudolph Erasmus had four passengers oh, on board a light aircraft flight when he felt something <gasps> cold slide across his lower back. Oh, Lord. He glanced down to see the head of the fairly large Cape Cobra. Receding back under the seat, he said, Aramis called air traffic control for permission to make an emergency landing in the town of Welcome in Central South Africa. 
he still had to fly for another 10 to 15 minutes mm -hmm. and land the plane with the snake curled up by his feet. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, you know, listen, kudos Ooh. to him for keeping it cool. Um, you know, I wouldn't have wanted my life to have end so tragically, but I don't know how I would have been, <laughs> been able to handle that talk, thing. Talk about calm and cool under pressure. Right, and not just any oak. I mean, this is one of the more, I, I guess the, the snakes, the venomous snakes, you know, come in tears, yeah. and this was one of the more venomous ones. Looking at him, watching him watch, right. trying to land. <laughs> like, I mean, when you, even in an emergency landing, it still yeah. takes a good half hour to posture yourself and then to get down to the ground right. and to land. So he had to keep his cool, you know, like the report said, 10, 15 minutes. How does a snake even get on the plane? Do they say? And, and how I'm, does it get in the cockpit? Because the cockpit door is closed. Maybe did it land in the jungle or something? Or, you know, did it come across the, 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 the tar tarmac and, 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 and climb up in there? Did somebody bring it? You know, somebody might That's have, some serious climbing. I don't know. That snake climbed from That's the ground so into I the saw cockpit. That it's so scary. Oh my goodness gracious. All right. Uh, Jay Z's Rock Nation recently funded a full page ad condemning Italy's racism in soccer. Now, the ad came after Milan's Romello Lukaku, a client repped by Jay Z's Rock Nation Sports, was taunted with monkey sounds while playing against uh, a, a team. A uh, video clip shared online, rowdy. Uh, fans making racist noises from the crowd. The open letter addresses the lack of action taken against the attendees and criticism of black players on the receiving end of the racist taunts. We've talked about this time and time again. I always say if it wasn't for those, you know, black soccer players overseas, there probably wouldn't be a soccer league. Yeah, most yeah. of those teams are, are heavy, heavy with uh, they probably have, you know, African roots. Um, but if it's not for those and their skills, a lot of those teams wouldn't be on top as they are. You know, and kudos to Jay-Z for and, and Rock Nation for using their voice mm -hmm. and using their platform mm -hmm. to shine a light on, you know, players, black players in Italy. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you know. Black folks are everywhere, mm -hmm. right? And that also means that white supremacy and racism are also everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we can't always control for it, but we can control how we respond to it. Yeah. So I'm glad they use their platform to do at least that. Agree. Yeah. Well, Flavor Flav recently <laughs> paid a visit to Harvard University to volunteer, speak, and deliver a special gift. Now, the public enemy icon spoke about his struggle with addiction and then donated one of his signature clock necklaces to the university's hip-hop archive and research institute in his visit to the Ivy League school uh, AS.com reports that Flav volunteered at the Harvard Square homeless shelter he read an Emily Dickinson poem oh. and talked with students uh, and he then made a very unique donation. Okay. HBCUs are receiving tremendous love and collaboration from some of entertainment's brightest stars, from Beyonce's Be Good, hmm. touring HBCUs to promote scholarship opportunities for her Renaissance tour, to Chris Paul, holding basketball tournaments, shining lights on HBCU athletes. Yeah, man, Black Star Power is putting their influence behind the black institutions. Joining us now to discuss how he's giving back to HBCUs uh, is mega producer and songwriter Dallas Austin. It is an absolute pleasure. You you know, listen, your hits are the soundtrack of my life, brother. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we first want to start by congratulating you on the recent win with uh, TSU. Congratulations. 
congrats on that. We were following that nomination closely. That is amazing, historic, precedent, all that good stuff. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that uh, project, how that collaboration came to be. Um, it's interesting because uh, Sir the Baptist came to me and he said, hey man, um, would you like to accept a doctorate from TSU? And I said, a doctorate? Yeah, I'd love to get a doctorate from TSU, you know? Right. Um, and along with that process, we decided, well, why don't we do something, instead of just receiving a doctorate, why don't we do something to give back? Like, why don't we make an album for the school, um, combine it with, you know, the first time the marching band has had kind of mixed with a gospel choir, you know, with a gospel album, with gospel influences. Um, let's make it for them the first time that that's ever been done. And um, and then while we're making that making the album, I decided to make a documentary out of it also. Um, so it was it was our ways of basically giving back to the school. And when we made the record, we didn't know we were going to get a Grammy for it. We wanted it to win a Grammy. We had every intention of saying, hey, this is something that we want to submit and something that uh, would be important for the legacy of the school. And more importantly, I think, um, you know, when you shine light on something like that, when you make make a record that gets a Grammy with the school, and once they see the documentary, uh, it really sums up everything also. Uh, and I think it's going to be, you know, kind of do what Drumline did mm -hmm. for the fake school at Atlanta A&T, because yeah. it wasn't real school. But everybody wanted to go there because they saw this movie mm -hmm. um, and they saw the records and stuff. So, like, it's just really... You know, it came full circle, so I'm really excited for the uh, for the for the school more than anything. Yeah, it's an amazing project. Again, congrats on that. It is, mm -hmm. it is, it is. So Dallas, last year you just alluded to this. You received an honorary degree from TSU. Tell us a little bit about that experience. What did that mean for you, <laughs> getting an honorary degree from of all institutions, TSU? It was amazing, man, because. You know, for one, my, you know, I didn't graduate from high school and my mom always, you know, she wanted that, that, that moment in life. I also determined to be a record producer and a songwriter that I was, you know, I, I was in the studios by the time I was 16. And so it kind of went full circle because my mom, you know, my mom, my brother, for them to see me actually get a cap and gown and, and walk down the aisle and, you know, stand on the stage and actually get the, um, get the doctorate. It was, it was kind of surreal, you know, um, Especially coming from TL, you know, a lot of my friends, a few of them got doctorates, you know, but like coming from the source of the marching band was really important mm -hmm. to me because of Drumline, because it's been the 20th anniversary of Drumline this year also. Um, so it kind of, you know, I, I like that feeling of giving back to something I think is going to make, uh, you know, have impact on people. And yeah. I knew that this would have a big impact on it, the way that this had an impact on me. Sure. You've had these amazing experiences, the, the honorary degree, the Grammy. Uh, talk a little bit about how HBUs, HBCUs have become important to you, especially as you uh, experience these full circle moments. I mean, it's, uh, I'm glad they, you know, I think it's fair to say that Drumline was one of the first movies to give uh, HBCUs their light from a marching band standpoint. Yeah. I know we had like Spike Lee did the movies before that, like, you know, Do the Right Thing mm -hmm. and movies like that. But, you know, I think the drumline really made another light shine on it because it was something that, an angle that they haven't seen before. And it made it where, you know, it, it kind of heightened that for the marching bands. But then I think now that, you know, after that and Beyonce using the bands and other people starting to incorporate bands more and, you know, even from Outkast, everyone else is kind of using them with some capacity. And I think that that, that part of the school, um, you know, was always looked at as not, not being the coolest part, you know. And then with HBCUs also, you know, they, they struggle with funding every, everything else just like other people do. So, I mean, other, other schools do. So I feel like this, these last couple of years, you had a lot of support from artists trying to help support that school and support, you know, 
um, what the legacy of those schools mean. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's important. It's always been important um, because those are the first places we were able to have those types of educations. That's at. right. That's right. Um, and, and, you know, and to this day, it's, you know, it frees out more, you know, audiences than any other places. So, you know, it's, it's really important for all of us to rally around it. I hope this shines a light on TSU mm-hmm. that it really helps uh, elevate the school and, and, and the, you know, just the knowledge of what the school is about. So Dallas, speaking of classic movies, you've, you've referenced Drumline, you've referenced Do the Right Thing. You might have a classic on your hands, as we understand it. You currently have a documentary entitled Road to Ambition. Tell us about the inspiration behind it. Yeah, it was, you know, it, it was basically, um, I felt like not only, you know, recording, to show, showing people what it took to make this, the record, um, but also giving them inspirational points, like things I've been through in my life and things that, um, I, lessons I learned in my life. And, you know, the what's cool about it is when we started a documentary, um, we, you know, we started it at the same time, like a year ago, and we're finishing it now because we want to see what the outcome was going to mm-hmm. be. So it's, it's amazing to have the outcome of the Grammy being a part of it. Um, that was just magic and God that fell in play, you know. Um, and so I think when it's very inspirational and it's very, you know, I think it's we've seen other kind of marching band documentaries before about just the band. But this is about the ambition it took to get to this Grammy and the ambition it took for, for us to make it and for other people to make it and what it takes for you to, to really succeed in life. Um, and so it's, 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 it's more than just a, a, a marching band documentary. It's, it's full of jewels and stuff that I mm-hmm. think that um, when they watch it, It'll, it'll, it'll stick with people the way it stuck with some of the students when we were making it. Um, just seeing their reactions and then, and then some of the knowledge we were given to them at the time, and they were just like, oh man, we didn't know that, or we didn't know that worked this way, or this, we didn't know that this is what it took. So it's always good to put that hope in them and, and show, them, show them that, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. And that's what the road ambition is really about, is, is making sure you, got what it, you keep up with what it takes to succeed in whatever your dreams are. Yeah, indeed. And what like a fairy tale moment, you know, just a fairy tale yeah, moment in regards to how that how you how you would want that documentary to end. It doesn't get any better than that. So before we let it you go, I know, <laughs> like, right. I can't wait to check it out. So before we let you go, hip hop turns 50 this year. Touche. First generation yeah. hip hop here. Talk to us a yeah. little bit about what a hip hop means to you. I'm sure it has just been it has been everything to you as it has been been to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially in, uh, in the start of my career where, you know, you had the Bomb Squad and Hank Shockley and you had Come like, on now. More, more prominent and, um, you know, it was more prominent in, uh, coming from a New York standpoint and mm-hmm. us putting it in R&B. Um, and so we get to records like the TLC records and the ABC records and, you know, the JT Moneys and all the records that we've done. Um, you know, we just we wouldn't have the same thing without the influence of hip hop. It's meant so much to our culture. Um, I was telling somebody yesterday mm-hmm. that, you know, where would you think that most of the rappers would be if rap didn't exist? Listen, right? Because listen. at one point, I remember the times when it didn't exist. I remember when, you know, first came in and people, uh, even in our era, it was still even about, you know, it, it wasn't brag rapping. It wasn't enough to, people wasn't making enough money of it mm-hmm. to call it a career. You couldn't really call it a career. And so I asked, I said, what do you think that all these guys who probably didn't have the right education, probably was in the streets, probably was doing, you know, where would they be if it wasn't for hip hop music? My answer was probably mostly in jail or dead. Yeah, it saved um, lives, because, for sure. 
it saved lives. Yes, there was it no outlet mm -hmm. that could make it where you could tell your story and then make a career out of it and then start to change other people's lives out of it, whether it's your staff or your mm -hmm. employees or your families. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this happen now for a long time, yeah. um, that the impact that hip hop has made on everybody, you know, um, from Puff to everybody else. So it's, it's I think it's monumental in, in our culture um, because it carved out a whole new uh, level of income and a career that nobody ever thought yeah. that we could be successful at. And Dallas, it gave yeah. us a voice. It gave a generation a whole new, different kind of voice. A global yeah. voice. It did. Mm -hmm. A global voice. It gave well, a big voice. Yep. Yeah. Well, our thanks, our thanks to Dallas Austin, uh, mega producer, and just all in all, great guy. Yeah. Uh, please come on back to Foxhole's Black Report anytime. Yeah, you're an I official sure soulmate will, now. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Appreciate you too. Still ahead on Fox Souls Black Report. Yeah, the latest in the Michael K. Williams death case and more. Stay close, soulmates. You are watching Fox Souls Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Souls Black Report. Well, there's a new documentary coming to Hulu that has some baby boomers nervous about what could be shown. I don't know about baby boomers, maybe uh, uh, Gen, Gen Xers. Xers. Yeah, Gen, Gen X, because yeah. baby boomers are my mama. Yeah. But they could have been down <laughs> at Freak Nick. It's the big documentary that is slated for later this year and will be produced by none other than Jermaine Dupri. He was in the thick of it all. Oh, I remember, don't ask me how. <laughs> and it takes a look at the infamous annual street parties in Atlanta, but in 1999, actions by police and elected officials caused Freak Nick uh, to uh, cease and, uh, oh, was it a time? And I, I know a lot of my uh, colleagues and peers who have moved on to bigger and better and greater were a little nervous about this Netflix, uh, Netflix because, you know, there's a lot of documentary and it was back in the day when you had yeah. the camcorder, yeah. so we'll see what happens. I'm going to ask my brother David about, oh, uh, yes. about Freak Nick. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. LSU has had a lot to celebrate as of lately and now black Twitter is joining in on the celebration as Alexis Morris is making history after defeating Iowa over the weekend and becoming the 2023 NCAA Division One champion Alexis Morris will now attend this year's WNBA draft the draft will air live tonight on ESPN Alexis Morris has been trending on Twitter for two days she is a beast mm -hmm. congrats to her well, one name you won't hear anytime soon is Tiger Woods. He withdrew from a tournament before play, the play even started yesterday. This is because of a lingering foot injury that saw him limping through the practice and first and second rounds. Woods has now withdrawn from two of the last three major championships he played in. Yeah, uh, I, I just saw some videos uh, just yesterday uh, uh, watching the news yeah. of him limping around. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Tiger. And over the weekend, I was I was actually down there. I live uh, up the street. We have a house up the street yeah. from uh, the Masters. The, the weekend started beautiful, and then there was a change in the weather, a little chilly, the rain. I think that probably aggravated that, that ongoing injury because mm -hmm. he still is in – 
in recovery. I mean, he had some ca catastrophic, you know, damage after that uh, automobile accident. Yeah. So he wasn't doing too well. He was like, you know what? I'm going to sit this one out. That's a tough, tough course. And there's a lot of walking involved. And, you know, he's just not the tiger uh, uh, that we once knew. And uh, but I still think he he'll still compete because he's that competitive. But it was interesting to, you know, see him try to make it happen. And a little sad that he had to pull out because people come to that Masters, uh, especially to see uh, Tiger when, when, of course, he can he can compete. So yeah, it's a good look. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I mean, but you know, Tiger's son, you know, mm -hmm. is uh, you know he's beginning to make waves himself, he and is. so you know, who knows, you know, what's going to happen in terms of the legacy of Tiger Woods? But you know, I dig the fact that Tiger ain't done yet. Mm-hmm. All right, there's new developments this week in the death of actor Michael K. Williams. As many of you know, Williams is known for his roles on The Wire and Boardwalk Empire, but died of an overdose after buying heroin in Brooklyn. The deal was recorded by a security camera. Uh, Irvin Cartegna pleaded guilty to conspiring to distribute drugs and that was and that uh, the heroin was laced with fentanyl. He will be sentenced on August 18th. So a lot of times you don't hear the follow up uh, mm -hmm. you know, to these stories. It's unfortunate. And I find it very interesting that, you know, of course, you know, it sounds like Michael was dealing with a lot of demons, but I find it very interesting that they're going after the dealers now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, will that actually, uh, you know, solve anything? I'm not so sure. I know that deal is not going to be able to deal anymore. But um, when you talk about, you know, Michael and the choices uh, that some of these celebrities or people make, um, I think, you know, the dealer is only a part of the of the chain of the scenario. So, uh, you know, and, know. and it's another example of just sort of how widespread, you know, this problem with fentanyl is, mm -hmm. you know, fentanyl mm -hmm. laced with weed, laced, laced with heroin, in this mm -hmm. case, laced with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, just a very minimal exposure to that, you know, yeah. can end a life, right? And so, you know, it's just another sad example of that. Yeah, and they just came out with the results of the uh toxicology reports mm -hmm. for Coolio, and I do believe there were some of the same yep, drugs involved that's right. in his unfortunate demise as well. Yeah. All right, still ahead, Black Excellence. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. We'll be right back. Texas Southern University cheerleaders became the first HBCU program to win the NCAA College National Championship in the Cheer Spirit Rally Division. This is so exciting. The Lady Tigers won the 2023 title. It happened down in Daytona Beach, Florida. Check them out. This happened last Thursday. Uh, becoming the first HBCU cheer team to win at the NCAA National Championships in the organization's 75 years. That's right. Other HBCU wow. cheer teams that participated and placed in the top 20 were North Carolina A&T, Florida A&M, mm -hmm. University, uh, 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 Southern University, Jackson State University, Tennessee State University, Alabama A&M okay. University, Bowie State, Bethune-Cookman, Edward Waters, Morgan State, and Kentucky, Kentucky State University. That is amazing. You go, girls. They don't. They don't want to see us coming. They don't want to <laughs> see us coming. But again, just like some of the some of the bands from the yeah. uh, you know predominantly white uh, institutions, they're they're actually drawing. I'm trying to going to try to be nice. They're 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 being influenced by what the HBCU bands are doing, and so you see a lot of more flavor <laughs> on the field 
during halftime, <laughs> during the predominantly, you know, white football games. Yeah. Uh, and, and the same thing, you know, for sh- for cheerleading, the, the, the sassiness, the attitude, we yeah. always encompass that. And uh, they might not want to see us coming in these uh, big, uh, traditionally white, uh, uh, if you will, competitions, because uh, we, we will dominate, as you can see here. We're on our way up to, to get into the bigger titles. And it's good, to see, it's good to see folks getting so much more excited in, yes. in the school spirit growing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we report on so many stories about yeah. what's happening on college campuses across mm-hmm. the country, mm-hmm. you know, and it's good to see, you know, these cheerleaders sort of leading the charge, yeah. you know, really helping to, to harness that school spirit and bring people together. And I love the fact that it's not just basketball and football anymore. We've been talking about cheerleading. We've been talking about swimming. We've been talking about mm-hmm. lacrosse, you know, golf. Uh, and, and so we're, we're seeing the diversity and we're seeing the young people really involve themselves in all different aspects of sports, hockey. It's exciting to see. It's very exciting. All right. A set of Chesapeake, Virginia siblings made history when they became the first black triplets to enlist together in the Navy. In the Navy. Mm-hmm. That's right. Adrian and his siblings, brother Arion and sister Andrea, began talking about joining the Navy back in high school, which is a decision their parents made years earlier before meeting aboard the USS Arctic in 1999. Now, Dad, Andre, says he joined the Navy to escape from the limited future from growing up in the projects. Hmm. Ariana stationed in Norfolk and Andrea is at Oceana in Virginia Beach. Adrian has not received his assignment just yet. I think that is so exciting. I was reading a little bit more into the story. You see dad and mom there. Uh, Sutton, I believe, is the last name. And they actually met on that ship prior to its deployment. Uh-huh. She says she saw him walking by. And she was like, ooh. And she knew that was her man. Of course, they got together and, and started a family. And they've, they've, they've since, uh, you know, finished their duty. Mm-hmm. And the dad is so inspired by the triplets. He's now going to join the Navy Reserves so he can serve alongside awesome. his uh, his triplets because he is so excited and so proud of them. So that's an amazing story. It amazing is an amazing story. story. Of service. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's an amazing story, you know, and it's so wonderful to see so many more examples of how we show up for our country. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is a, this is a black family that's proud to serve in this country's military, mm-hmm. you know, a historic first, you know, black triplets, you know, mm-hmm. serving in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, that's why when some people try to act like we don't love this country. Yeah. Uh, we That's got a lot to love for this country. We love it enough to make sure, you know, that uh, uh, we are all safe and protected. Speaking of historic firsts, we know the VP just wrapped up some mm-hmm. time in Africa and you joined her. I did. Talk a little bit about, you know, that experience. I saw you posting on social media, you know, sitting here watching uh, the press uh, conferences and the meetings with the dignitaries by way of your, your feed. And all of a sudden a zebra walks by. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is no, coming to no, America. No zebras. Political edition. No zebras were harmed in the, in the, in the organizing of that what press was that conference. Like? It was so vibrant and colorful. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, it was it was a, a dream assignment, yeah. you know. And uh, big thanks to you know the team that that really sort of showed up, you know, in the gap because it happened very quickly. Right. Um, and I look forward to sort of sharing um, that story in, in depth mm-hmm. uh, as I'm still processing it. Sure. But uh, it was an incredible experience traveling from uh, from D.C. to Ghana. Mm-hmm. to Tanzania, mm-hmm. to Zambia, along with the vice president, you know, who, you know, had something to say, you know, mm-hmm. about investing more in Africa and turning the page. You know, typically you have heads of state, heads of government that make visits to Africa. Mm-hmm. 
that are more about humanitarian support, more about public health support. She's saying, uh-uh, we need to bet on black. We need to invest yeah. in Africa. And she Africa. was talking to young people. It was, was, it was about the young movement there, the future. She was talking to young people. Now. She was talking to yeah. the, the community of content creators there. Mm -hmm. She was talking about narrowing the gender gap that exists on the continent. Mm -hmm. You know, right now, I think two-thirds of folks on the internet that have access to the internet yeah. in Africa are men. Yeah. And so think about the digital economy and opportunities for digital inclusion. And they also acknowledged your birthday, which was uh, April 1st, so happy belated. You got Thank a little you. birthday song and cake and so on and so forth on Air Force Two. I did. I did. Nice. I did. It, was, it was very nice. Very um, nice. Uh, but so much more to share about that trip, and I look forward to sharing more in the coming weeks. We can't wait. All right. For the full rundown on today's stories and more, you can access Fox Soul's video on demand on any of our partners. You can even access past shows and other Black-centered content. Don't forget, Soulmates, you got to download that Fox Soul app for absolutely free. Hope that uh, Resurrection Weekend was good. Again, it's, it's time to tap back in. Sometimes it's a slow go when you're coming off of a holiday weekend, but thanks so much for joining us. I am Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nick Cordelide Corte, and I am so glad springtime is right around the corner. It did warm up around here. You excited? I'm it's so like in excited. the 60s today. It's a different experience, y'all. <laughs> Just All saying. Right. All right, thanks so much for watching. We'll see you soon. Stay lifted.